I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch is officially a She's All That Truther podcast now. Right up now. The funk soul brother. Check it out now. The funk soul brother. Right about now. The funk soul brother. Check it out now. The funk soul brother. Right about now. The funk soul brother. Check it out now. The funk soul brother. Right about now. The funk soul brother. Right about now. Hi. We are a Truth or Podcast about the movie <laughs> She's All That. I know uh, the truth. Yeah, we're, She's All That. There's a lot of truth. There's uh and some dares. Uh like don't wear glasses. Uh but anyways, where we love to watch we're a movie podcast. We pick a theme, we do movies over the course of that month around that theme, something like that. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. And we're in the second week of May, which is uh fancy high school. Which are uh, movies set in high school, mostly in the 90s. There's some exceptions to that. One. Exceptions uh, have been made. And, and they are uh, movies that are adapted, sometimes loosely, sometimes very loosely. There's no strict adaptations in these. It's either loose or very loose. <laughs> Much like these high sc- there were no Jane Austen books about a uh, Southern California high school in uh, the 1990s. No, there wasn't. And so, yeah, they had to go loose or very loose. Uh, and we're doing uh, the uh, adaptation of George Bernard Shaw's Pygmalion, She's All That. As we started watching She's All That... I was dying at how much this reminded me of a movie that it parodies and that I thought was taking a pretty, I don't know, normal movie and then like turning it, you know, 45 degrees from a parody perspective. And But I hadn't seen She's All That since it came out in 1999. Uh, and so watching it, I was like, holy cow, not another teen movie. The other movie that Peter and I watched for this turned it maybe three degrees. Of ridiculousness. Like, it's a slight adjustment. I was truly, truly shocked at how, um, at least the she's all that components of this plot, because not another teen movie throws in, like, every teen movie that had been coming out, which was a lot. It was a good good time to be a teen movie set in high school. But yeah, the she's all that components are, like, barely stretched. It is hilarious. And so, yeah, I'm watching she's all that, and I'm like... I felt like I was having an out of out of body experience where I'm like I I can't even like understand how close this is to its own parody. This is this is shocking that this was like made a hundred million dollars and was yeah. a huge hit. It be it, yeah, it'd be like if they made a, uh, a gritty coming of age tale that has the exact same plot as Billy Madison. Uh, yeah, like. It's it's just not right. And I guess that's why we kind of wanted to do both because again this is this was a big hit movie. Like if you look at the list of movies that this outgrossed at the theater, there is like a few all-time classics, a few other like pretty well-regarded like mainstream hits that like this movie did better than everything from like like this did better than South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, which I remember being this huge event movie of that summer, and and going to see it in packed theaters a couple different times. This made twice the box office of that movie. Like That's it insane. made twice the box office of Ten Things I Hate About You, another movie that we're going to be covering this month that is <laughs> uh, actually still very good and well regarded <laughs> and was a hit, but like. T- 
twice the box office of Fight Club. <laughs> like, yeah, the timing of doing not another teen movie uh, right now is kind of interesting because we're then going to talk about Ten Things I Hate About You, which uh infused maybe 10 percent of the dna of not another teen movie so uh, i actually she's all th- that is like 70 percent. it's 70 percent, but also i think this is a this is a rarefied movie so yes uh not another teen movie makes jokes and it, it does the does the extrapolations or exaggerations of a ton of high school movies everything from the 80s stuff like breakfast club to uh, all the 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 huge slew that kind of came out between 1995 and 2001. So, for example, the ten things that I I hate about you parody is that there's a scene in Ten Things I Hate About You where uh, Heath Ledger's character sings "Can't Take My Eyes Off You" to Julia Stiles in a football field, and she is moved by it. And here, Chris Evans' character uh, does the exact same thing, except the character's name is Janie. And so he sings Janie's Got a Gun, which causes her to get uh, everyone to freak out and her to be arrested by the police. And why that's important, I think, is that that is a scene that doesn't actually like most parody movies or most things that something gets parodied when it's a, when it's a relatively good movie. Um, it's just taking that scene and making it ridiculous. It doesn't actually make whether that scene in 10 Things I Hate About uh, You works for you or not. That's almost superfluous to whether the joke works for you because it's taking something and exaggerating it. And it's not really it's not calling to the attention, the ridiculousness of that moment and things I hate about you. It's what if someone did it, but was totally tone deaf, deaf on the content. And I feel like for the most of the movies that not another team movie makes fun of, it is doing that version of parody where we're going to take the situation. We're going to silly it up a little. We're going to take it to a weird extreme. And you're going to laugh at that moment as a recognition of a previous moment, but we're not going to, in the in the same way, literally destroy what that movie was about. She's All That is weird because it literally makes She's All That as a movie, I don't know whether it was watchable or not, but it makes it almost unwatchable if you've seen Not Another Teen Movie. I'm glad I watched She's All That first and then Not Another Teen Movie, which is a movie I'd never seen, because the way you were describing it, I was like... How was how the original? How was the original supposed to hold up to any of this? It barely holds up on its own ground. It's like it's 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 a it's a it's a person on crutches right now, and then you're throwing on a backpack full of bricks. Like there's no way this is gonna work. And I so. really do believe that like the reason why most of these other teen movies that were hits from the era cheesy, legitimately good are are relatively well regarded. Like if they were hits. You've heard of them. People talk about them. I know even ones like that are parodied in, in 10 Things I Hate About You, like Never Been Kissed, which is not a movie that I ever really enjoyed. I know a ton of people that still swear by that movie and love that movie, right? Like, uh, And then there's there's movies that I think everyone just agrees are stone cold classics, like a 10 Things I Hate About You, like a Clueless. But, I really, but She's All That is basically out of the conversation, and I really do believe it was completely destroyed by this movie. And the only other example I can think of where the parody was so like like really revealed the depths of mediocrity and like exposed this like okay yeah this is a fine movie as like almost a fraud of a movie <laughs> like showed the scene so bad that it made it like out of the conversation is airplane to airport airport had five sequels first one was nominated for an academy award like at the time those were like huge giant grossing 
box office uh, hits. And it seems like one of those movies where nowadays, 30 or 40 years later, yeah, maybe we wouldn't um, think they're the best movies of all time, but they'd get the relative respect that like a Towering Inferno or a Poseidon Adventure gets. Like big budget action uh, you know, huge cast movies of their time that are good examples. And while Towering Inferno and Poseidon Adventure, which are both not very good movies, get that level of respect and people talk about them and they show up on good 70s lists, Airport is basically like wiped from history. And I think it's because I have seen Airport. Airport and Airplane exist side by side. If you don't know, Airplane takes the entire plot of Airport and just points out how ridiculous everyone's behavior is with, like, slight exaggerations. It then still has the big parody moments or the big joke moments, but all the little moments that are, like, part... If you're watching Airport and you've seen Airplane, it ruins it as a straight action movie or drama or anything else. Which is not does not happen to necessarily every movie, right? No, I I uh, honestly think the only two examples where the parody just essentially erased the other one from existence besides as a footnote to the parody is airport and choose all that. Yeah. Because like, uh, the, let's talk about like who, who does the parodies, right? Um, Mel Brooks is, is the most famous, uh, parodist. Um, he does not make satires. He makes specifically parodies. A lot of people like space balls, but nobody is like, I can never watch Star Wars the same way after that. Um, it's, it's, it's clearly like playing off, going purely into farce category, right? Yeah, and it's um, going Young really big, right? It's yeah. like... And Young Frankenstein hues much closer to, say, uh, a, a, you know, sort of the first two Frankenstein films, uh, Frankenstein yeah. and Pride of Frankenstein. Uh, it, it hues very close to those in terms of like... Uh, uh, visuals and tone and it's shot on some of the same sets which is amazing young frankenstein is maybe my favorite comedy of all time next to wet hot um and despite all that when i watched frankenstein and young and bride of frankenstein after i was like oh these are really like affecting wonderful movies yeah there's so there's something about the 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 surgical strike of of uh not another teen movie, which, mind you, has tons of problems. We'll get to it. Um, tons of problems and ton of, like, over-the-top jokes and ton of, like, jokes that don't work. Yes, yes. It's a it's a definite grab bag comedy, right? They're just, what I, the writer's room never found a joke they didn't like, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that is definitely not. But when it, can, when it comes to She's All That, which, again, I didn't realize because I hadn't seen She's All That since 1999. This movie came out a couple years later. I've revisited this movie a couple – or not another teen movie a couple times, but I've never revisited She's All That. It takes apart the characters and the situations in She's All That with a level of surgical precision that – uh, and also just, again, reveals the emptiness that was already there. Because, again, I think part of the reason where Not Another Teen movie fails or uh, where even like Mel Brooks or Zucker Abrams movies fails is when they need to include the scene, but they can't find the joke. Mm-hmm. And so they end up usually doing a sex joke or an eye rolling joke or a, I'll say swears. And like you never really found the angle to do like that kind of cutting satire or parody that like is is truly any different than just uh, a stupid dick joke without the reference right like 
and I think all those have that problem. Like when when the when Zucker, Abrams, all those guys split up, and you start having wrongfully accused, you'd find a couple funny moments that were like making fun of the self seriousness of the fugitive, and then a lot of just like, what if this guy's pants can't come off right? <laughs> uh, you know, it's just like it just fills up time, and not another team movie has that problem, but. Uh, it really kind of gets how vapid She's All That is, specifically. Oh, yeah. And She's All That is not a great movie to begin with. So, like, the, I'm, I'm willing to replace it with a silly comedy, silly weird comedy that has lots of problematic, awful moments. I'm, will, I'm willing to make that replacement, right? But there is, there is something about, after watching that another teen movie, I will never be able to... I'll never even be able to approach the same mindset that I was trying to put myself in for She's All That, right? Like, it, it, it'll be folly. It, it'd be, it, it, it would be like pretending, uh, I don't know, an apple is uh, orange. Like, it's just, it's, it's just not, sure, I could, like, make the attempt, but, like, that I know it's all bullshit in my head, right? Like, the She's All That experience has no <laughs> ground to stand on. No, I, I mean, I honestly, like, I almost had, like, what's approaching a a non-panic version of a panic attack where I literally was like, what is this? What? How is this? No! Like, it was... And then my wife was, like, so into She's All That, she was laughing hysterically because she remembered not another teen movie from 20 years ago and realized what what the what the joke was in each of these scenes to the point that it was really funny because my wife and I watched both together. She was dying at She's All That remembering not another teen movie and then didn't laugh once at not another teen movie. <laughs> like, um, I guess. He, so we're going to talk more about the making of she's all that. Some, some crazy stories around it. <laughs> um, and we're going to talk about these movies in particular, but if you don't know what I'm talking about, here's what it was the experience for me. So there's a very memorable scene that I always found funny in not another teen movie where, uh, Chris Evans and basically his first movie role, um, who plays the Freddie Prince jr. Character, walks up to is walking through the the school with a very cocky think scott pilgrim versus the world chris evans attitude and he sees a picture of himself on the wall at his high school uh without any context and he gives it a little like nod like how are you doing to himself and then he goes and which and then he goes and walks a little bit further and there's a picture of him giving a head nod to the picture of himself and he um and he gives that a little bit of like finger guns and walks away. Uh and so I remember that scene. That seems like a self-contained parody of the most popular kid in high school trope who can do no wrong. He has not just a picture of himself in the high school for no reason, which is ridiculous, would never be taken seriously, but he has a picture of the picture of himself in a in a standard joke plus joke escalation format you know but i thought they were non sequiturs not part of anything specific because what movie would actually have something like that that was parroting then i'm watching she's all that and the opening of that movie is freddie prince jr walking up and there's a picture of himself in the high school that he gives finger guns to and walks away and i was literally <laughs> like what like, that scene from Not Another Teen Movie, the joke was there was a second picture. The joke wasn't the first picture. The first picture happened in a different movie. <laughs> what? 
Like, um, <laughs> it, it also was... makes you respect not another teen movie a little bit less because they're basically just taking this. <laughs> I mean, at least they're they're showing some sense of of dignity and respect by being like. This scene is funny enough on its own, but like it well, almost exactly. makes you be like, well, they they, they were just they they were just doing what DJs do, or they're like, just yeah. like, this is a fucking awesome guitar riff. This is a great '60s Motown sample. Just get it in there. Exactly. They are like that's why I said it's five degrees. They're like we just did like the club mix of Four Non Blondes. What's up? Right? Like, it's still the great song and refrains and everything else. It's just a little, has a little more of a beat to it than the acoustic version. Um, yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. You're not, you're not fundamentally changing what's happening. I, yeah, I think that's why the, the not, the She's All That parodies, it's so easy for them because this movie is just like beyond what you remember as like, like a laughable, laughable joke of a movie and again i think the reason that it's not it it was the biggest hit of all of these movies it made more money than clueless like it really is like the biggest of these at a time when there was 30 40 examples of this this was the biggest one this is the one that no one talks about anymore so yeah there's but there's there's a there's a second reason that we should talk about uh not another teen movie alongside uh she's all that um sorry there's three but the second reason i hinted at it's that this movie is kind of pulling from other high school movies of the era largely she's all that and uh, it really gets all of them though i was surprised like it's american pie in there there's a little bring it on um other movies we're not doing it's kind of uh it's I, i like that we're doing a parody at the beginning of the month as opposed to the end because it helps us be aware of the tropes as they're developing right then as we go along, we can we can start to see the commonalities and compare them a little closer. The other reason that I think it's it's right for us to do it do this uh, along with this episode, even though it wasn't originally part of our plan, is because while she's all that is technically an adaptation of Pygmalion, not another teen movie is technically an adaptation of she's all that. In a sense, not another teen movie <laughs> is the other adaptation of Pygmalion that came out because they're both without probably not without realizing it uh not another team movie um they're both basing it on the george bernard shaw classic yeah i mean because the spine and the whole plot of not another teen movie it uses the spine of she's all that um i'd say it's as close to the original work as she's all that is yeah, it ends the same way. So here's a here's just a list of all the movies parroting and not another teen movie to give you a sense. Some of these movies you might forget about, Peter, from the time. She's All That, Varsity Blues, Ten Things I Hate About You, Can't Hardly Wait, Pretty in Pink, Bring It On, American Pie, Cruel Intentions, American Beauty, Never Been Kissed, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Can't Buy Me Love, Jawbreaker, Sixteen Candles, Days and Confused, Lucas, Rudy, and The Breakfast Club. And so, yeah, it, it kind of does both the 80s John Hughes era. Um, and, like, the entire soundtrack is... Um, 80 songs done by uh terrible terrible punk bands the one that i was uh, really whatever good charlotte is yeah the one that i was really offended by um and i didn't get to talk about this in clueless there was a uh a tendency uh in the 90s to have i mean i know not another teen movie came uh came along a little later but there was a tendency in the 90s and i guess also flowed into the early 2000s to take 80s classics and then re-record them as like punky, uh, you know, spirited, rocky songs, and then yeah. drain all of the emotional re- resonance out of them. 
Um, it was so also like, remember- a weird era where we hated synthesizers, which I'm glad that era has passed in a big yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. So like, I remember watching uh, Wedding Singer and being like, "Oh wow, that's awesome that that's awesome that they're using like the original '80s songs because I like a lot of these songs. I like the texture of synthesizers. Yeah. I'm glad that it's you know here to stay. All that, whatever. And then there would be occasionally pop up like not great covers of amazing original like Buggles songs and stuff. And it was it was a little bothersome in Wedding Singer, but in and she's all that and in Clueless, there's a few that are like truly offensive because um, they're like actual classics. Clueless had the tact to say like, oh, we're putting we're putting David Bowie originals in here. We're not gonna have any covers of David Bowie, but we'll we'll cover other '80s songs. But the problem with Not Another Teen Movie is they cover literally one of the best. Well, they cover set. all the '80s, like all the '80s songs they cover. Yeah, and they cover. One of the Which best one? '80s like sad dance songs. And Are you this talking is about a, this is my pr- balloons. Uh, no, <laughs> that that cover is also terrible. Um, no, one of the best sad '80s love songs is "Bizarre Love Triangle" by New Order. Oh uh, yeah. And there's this particular bugbear I've had recently as well, and because it, 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 it's extended into a new generation, where you you take old songs, not necessarily '80s songs, but you take old songs that were dancey but sad which is like my favorite genre, and then decide, oh, I'm going to make them be consciously sad or consciously angry. I'm just going to bring those emotions to the surface as if uh, fucking Robin is an idiot um, and doesn't know that dancing on my own is a very sad song. So she should play it very slowly. Uh, (laughs) Like that shit is so bothersome to me. And so when I was watching Down on the Team movie, I was largely having fun. And then every so often I'd be like, hey, can you guys lean like you know, two and a half percent back into parody and just do the actual songs. Yeah. But yeah, I uh, I think that's a good weird intro. I think I think let's get into She's All That. We'll talk about not another teen movie at the end. And before we do our recap and everything else, let's talk about uh, all the other things around this movie. Because I, I don't think we're going to talk about She's All That for fucking an hour. So let's do uh, let's do a little bit of like uh, why we're She's All That Truthers. Why this movie, once and for all, proves that Harvey Weinstein, not a nice fella. And then we'll get into the the recap and stuff. What do you think about that, Peter? I think it's a great idea, Aaron. Thank you. Do you want to tell me I'm a good boy? Uh, you're a great boy, Aaron. No, I said good boy. Let's, uh, let's... You're, a good, you're a good boy, Aaron. It sounds like you're a, you're a peanuts parent or something. <laughs> you're a good, you're a good man, Charlie Brown. <laughs> you're a good man, Charlie Brown. We'll need you in the war war against Japan. Are you ready to talk more about She's All That, which is a phrase that was popular in the early 90s? Peter, can you complete the phrase, what was the actual She's, She's All, All That? She's All That in a Bag of Chips. Yeah. Why would you name your movie that in fucking 1999? Like, there was a TV <laughs> show, there's a Nickelodeon sketch show called All That, which again was, the was All That in a Bag of Chips. She's All That and a Bag of Chips. And that was like 95, 96. Like, the phrase had, when it gets to a Nickelodeon sketch show, it has, like, lost any sort of cultural yeah. coolness, even though that show was pretty good for it's a like Nickelodeon It's like if there was an Alicia show. Silverstone rom com called uh, Hey Dude. It's like if someone made a television show or a movie in 2005 that was called You're So Money and You Don't Even Know It. (laughs) It's like, dude, Swingers was nine years ago. No one thinks that's cool anymore. 
yeah, so yeah, they called this movie She's All That. Because, and this is true, she has uh, other ways to assist uh, her vision deficiencies. <laughs> She's all that and a pack of uh, contacts. And a, pa- and a pack of cigs. <laughs> a pack of cigs. Why doesn't she smoke in this? She's a f- she is so fake grunge in this. Like she like wants to be grungy, we, but all she does get into is it. make bad art, which is what? like one tenth of grunge. It's nine tenths image. One of my favorite scenes of this movie. We're now just stepping all over it. That's fine. I'll say this and we'll go to go to break. Um, she is Paul Walker just walking out on the balcony of his high school and lighting up a cigarette. <laughs> like what? That wasn't yeah. a thing in 1999 because he's so stressed. You could just like, and it's not like meant as like a thing where people go, "Dude, are you smoking on school grounds?" <laughs> like he just like is like, ah. <laughs> the cigarette lights. I was like, was he? Did he think the take was over? Did Paul Walker need a smoke break? And they're like, no, this definitely gives some edge to his character. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so I, that was definitely not allowed anywhere on my campus, but in you know anywhere six. Um, I can't imagine. I can't imagine uh, seven years earlier. Uh, anybody was was uh, allowing such a thing i was a sophomore in 1999 and absolutely not it had not been allowed yeah. for a long time but anyways we should probably peter start talking about she's all that and a bag of chips and a bag of chips stop look and watch ready yet get set it's all that alternate taglines of course i am of course i am uh laney pygmalion in the city is isn't laney the not another team movie or is that she, she's all that okay what's it's the not another Janie team and not Janie another team and laney of course i already said it because jamie's Man. got a gun yeah and laney uh only carries uh knives and uh grenades <laughs> <laughs> so it's laney she's a support Pigma- character yeah, it's it. not, I not full ammunition. All right, yeah, I know. All right so I, I think I'm going to do a quick recap, which is kind uh, of oh, a I, I have one. Oh, I have, I have another one. Sorry. Okay. Uh, please, Doctor Pool was my father. Call me Laney. <laughs> <laughs> they have a good house for like how yeah, poor they yeah, are. Yeah, they have this a is, pool. This is, this is hardcore a movie where they're like, "Is this how poor people live?" I have no <laughs> idea. I haven't been poor in thirty years. Single dad. Everyone mocks her because she doesn't have any money. They have a pool. They have a really yeah. nice house. This is one of those things where they're like, well, it is a comedy, so we can't make her house too sad. The dad watches no. Jeopardy. I don't know. Is that sad? Uh, as long as you mention that, because we might not circle back to it. The movie I could watch for an hour and a half is Kevin Pollack confidently answer every Jeopardy question wrong. <laughs> uh, that may be my favorite part of the movie is just him just sitting head down watching Jeopardy. What is this? <laughs> and every time being wrong. 
There are a couple of legitimately funny moments, but they come from Kevin Pollack and Matthew Lillard. They- and almost by accident, <laughs> they come from all the wrong places. They, they, yeah, it's it's pretty funny. So we'll, we'll they get come into from that. characters uh, who in other movies are just static. Uh, other better movies, mind you, like like Better Off Dead and shit, like uh, the, these sort of like uh, that sort of uh, you know John Hughes movies, the sort of static. Uh, sorry, the sort of absent father, but absent because he's always working. Like that father and he pops in for a few seconds to tell his daughter he's going to school. Like they don't have funny lines. Uh, the boyfriend who, st- or the guy who steals the girl away from the boyfriend, they don't They don't usually have much characterization. Um, so like in a functional movie, this would be, you know, uh, a cherry on top, right? Is to have all the characters yeah. have a little bit of characterization, even these periphery ones. In this movie- yeah. It's like, I don't give a shit that the dad and the fucking uh, com- guy that the the rival boyfriend, one of the two rival boyfriends, I should say, uh, is funny. Like, I, I don't need that. Yeah, it's you. That's what you do, right? Like, you kind of stack your funny movie with funny character actors to get like, hey, we're going to have funny throughout this while we deal with the human drama. And this movie only has a couple of funny periphery characters and then, like, forgets that everything else is vapid and weird. Uh, yeah. But anyways. And also, so, yeah, like, she's and also all that. that's a perfect role for Kevin Pollack is, like, uh, it's a perfect role for most stand-ups. And, like, this is where, like, this is uh, that Tyler Vane. Who's the guy from uh, T- Tucker and Dale versus Evil? Oh, Tyler Labine? Tyler Labine. Um, this is, like, a Tyler Labine role where you're, like, you're, like, oh, yeah, he's the funny funny best friend who drops in he has like a different style of comedy than the handsome leading man uh, yeah for free roles but it doesn't actually matter if that character's funny if the lead interaction is funny right also uh, yeah also kevin pollock wanted to work on this movie because he thought what a great actor freddie prince jr was after seeing him and i believe the house of yes yeah uh and then he came to this movie and was probably like oh should have called that the house of no <laughs> Because he's not very good uh, in it. But anyways, uh, he does look like fucking uh, fucking Philip Seymour Hoffman compared to Paul Walker in this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyways. He's Philip, he's Philip Seymour Hoffman in Along Came Polly. We're like, you're like, what is this splash of sunshine he's... in this black, black void? Anyway, so She's All That stars Freddie Prince Jr. as, well, who cares? Josh, Tony, Carl. Excuse me. He's, yeah, I think Josh. Tony. Is it Josh or the? It could be Josh and, and she's like all that. Josh or in Sly? that other movie, who's? Is it Josh? Was I right? Listen, this is something we could let's Google, but it doesn't. I'm gonna matter. Google. Let's see if my let's see if my Josh Dar was right. Um, do we got a Josh? <laughs> nope, we got a Zach. He's we a have Zach. a Zach. Oh, and then it's he's Jake a Zach type. in uh in not another team movie. Yeah. Uh, so he is dating. Uh, I don't even know Taylor Vaughn. Yeah, he's dated his, his girlfriend, Taylor Vaughn. His girlfriend came back from spring break and met uh, a star of the real world and is like, hey, we were high school boyfriends. You thought this was going to be forever. That's so cute. Ha ha ha. And so he's heartbroken and all his friends are assholes. So they're like, you you idiot. Oh, you got broken up with the most popular guy in school. There's photos of you in our school and now you have no friends. You suck. Uh, and somehow in there, there becomes a bet that he could make anyone the prom queen. It's because Taylor was dating him. That Taylor was popular, not that he just got broken up with by the most popular girl in school. So Paul Walker's like, no, you couldn't. And they make a a bet. Uh, And the bet is that he 
Freddie Prince Jr., Zach, is such a popular guy. Everyone loves him that whoever he's dating will be the prom queen. And so Paul Walker goes around to select the girl for this experiment. Uh, and first, uh, in, in a very funny scene, more in retrospect, like a lot of this is in comparison to not another teen movie. Exactly. At the time, it was very boring. Yeah. he, But yeah, he passes all these people that uh, are not uh, movie star attractive. And is and and finds reasons why that won't work, and then settles on one of the one of my like junior high crushes of a very Hollywood pretty movie star, Rachel A. Cook, and is like, oh, she wears glasses and overalls that have paint on them, and she just got a bad attitude in general. So good luck with that. And and Freddie and Freddie was Junior's like, fuck you, are you like, oh, I thought this was gonna be an easy bet, but now now you're giving me this. Give me this nonsense to work with. A gorgeous woman? Oh, gross. Oh, fuck, I'm going to lose. So he, you know, starts to talk to her. She's she's really into art. And that's about, that's her character. She's into art. She's into art, we find out later, as a way of coping with her mom dying, which is very sad, except it's handled very poorly. Um, so we don't even need to really get into that too much. But uh, in in one of the only legitimately funny twists of this movie, when she when he approaches Lainey for the first time, and she Lainey's uh, all of her suspicions are like, "Why is the most popular kid in school trying to talk to me?" Uh, she assumes it's to, because uh, she, he needs help <laughs> with his grades, and uh, she's like. She's like, I'm not that smart. I know just because I wear glasses, people, and I'm a nerd, and I don't have any friends. People assume I'm smart, but I'm not smart. And he's like, uh, I have the third best GPA in the school. Like, I'm, I trust me, I'm smart. <laughs> like, and she's like, oh, interesting. Which I thought was legitimately funny. Like the twist of like, it's almost like the cabin in the woods thing where, don't you don't you think it's weird? He's acting like this. He's pre med. He's calling everyone <laughs> nerds, um, but uh, that is the only legitimately funny component of this. And and he's like, no, actually, I took an art class and I don't know anything about art. Uh, and so they start to hang out. Uh, feelings develop. Uh, real Sorry, feelings. theoretical feelings develop. Theoretical, theoretical feelings. Like the chemistry the dialogue is implied. from other characters in, it insists that feelings are developing. Now, here's the thing. Yeah, as a viewer, you could be very confused why feelings are developing because there's actually no emotional bonding. There's not like a good moment of like the characters have no chemistry, and you would go, well, at least they're two attractive people. But then you look at Rachel A. Cook. She's wearing glasses, and you go, sorry. Uh, I guess that can't it can't just be animal lust with this gross person and of course epitome of attractiveness Freddie Prince Jr. So I don't get it as a viewer. Uh and then later they're going to a party and uh Freddie Prince Jr.'s sister, played by Anna Panquin, uh in a very thankless role before she found X-Men, uh the X-Men franchise. She would, uh, she post would Academy be Award winner if if it wasn't for the fact that she was in X-Men and True Blood after this and Margaret and all the other But she won an Academy Award. This was a weird era for her where like, oh yeah, I guess we can put her in a movie. Why not? She is technically famous. Uh before she actually got like good roles again. Uh, minus True Blood, which is a terrible show, and she's terrible in it. Um, but uh, so she, she comes to make her over, and literally the makeover is takes off her glasses, doesn't part her hair weirdly down the middle, and puts her in a dress. And everyone goes, "Oh my god!" Uh, she walks down the stairs to Sixpence, none the richer, kiss me. Um, 
stumbles a little in her shoes. Freddie Prince catches her and is like, oh, maybe I'm uh, gorgeous. And uh, they go to the party and the party doesn't go go too well. Uh, Taylor realizes that her real world boyfriend is an asshole and takes it out on uh, on Lainey by throwing some water on her. And, and she does a uh, uh, heightened run crying out to the car. And then Freddie Prince Jr. follows her and they're talking. And that's when they're really talking about like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't wear glasses. It's so bad. He's like, yeah, have you ever thought about not wearing glasses like more often? Because you're really pretty when you don't wear those glasses, which, again, is so goddamn dumb because the easiest way to make yourself look sexy is to wear glasses. So I don't. There's an entire porn category called glasses. Okay, folks. Like, that is, like, there's a reason why today people wear glasses without, uh, that don't actually need lenses, because that's just an easy way to look sophisticated and sexy. It is the fucking, the, but there was a stretch in the 90s where the grossest thing you could wear was glasses. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what was going Which on. Which is there. also funny, because it was at a period of time as well, where it was considered cool to not give a shit about your appearance and to be yeah. like, and, and to while putting yeah, it's in post grunge, right? Yeah. While putting yeah. in some work showering, but making yourself look like you hadn't showered was like the ideal, the ultimate ideal. Right. Uh, and then this idea that you needed for some reason, glasses, this like small scale handicap that people work with every single day. I don't know if it's small yeah. scale. It depends on your level, but whatever. Um, for most people, I know it's it's like, oh well, I just can't read that well, um, or oh, I yeah. sh- probably shouldn't. Um, I probably shouldn't drive at night or something. Um, but for regardless, uh, for most people, it's just like, oh, well, it's a thing I deal with. I put my glasses on. Um, yeah, and also it's not like she's wearing like over the top Hollywood like frames that make you look uh, <laughs> stupid. She's wearing like legitimate sexy glasses, like thick frames. She looks good. The glasses. I'm shocked but. that not another teen movie had the had, uh, the uh, reser- reservation, the um, resolve to not make her have big ass Coke bottle glasses, and she was no. just blind to the rest of the movie. But I, again, it's that thing of like, why make the ridiculous joke? The joke is already ridiculous that her wearing sexy glasses <laughs> um, makes her look not attractive. So uh, it shows how much not another teen movie does not need to stray from this but anyway yeah like okay so, so yeah like I, I mentioned that there's an entire porn category called glasses but also no one has ever been watching a porn and been like she's wearing glasses absolutely not oh hopefully i go what's this actress's name so i can find one without the glasses so i can finally get a fucking erection <laughs> um, it's a common thing people say when they're trying to get erections. What kind of weird, what kind of weird, like, uh, fucking uh, eugenics program hard-ons are people getting where they're like, I, absolutely not. I don't like, <laughs> I only like when all parts of your body work the right, like, uh, without any AIDS. Like, like, oh, I'm, if your eyes are not genetically pure, um, then... Then no good, sir. Uh, so, anyways, they also like he's like taking him around to his friends. There's this deeply uncomfortable beach scene, which I hate. Uh, but, anyways, it's also uncomfortable because like she wears a swimsuit and Dulé Hill character uh, character who he's on Psych um, is like, oh, interesting. She has uh, she has a body too. Maybe I could have now seeing her in a swimsuit makes me want to have sex with her. I can't believe it. I'm saying I want to have sex with Lainey. Oh, what is this world coming to? Freddie Prince Jr., you are a miracle worker. It's weird. I don't like it. Anyway, so this all comes. Finally, um, he ends up uh, having feelings for her 
but realizes that if he acts on those feelings without coming clean, it's the worst high school movie trope where I've kept a huge secret from you that's going to affect our relationship. That secret is going to come out. And so it's kind of like um, vengeance. Uh, Lainey goes to prom with Paul Walker's character, who's really a fucking creep. Like, just a, just a, like, not only does he not take ownership of the the fact that he caused this, he's now trying to manipulate her because he's like, oh, she's attractive. Now I must have her. Uh, Not a good look, Paul Walker. Um, Wherever you are, you should be ashamed of yourself. Um, Where's he again? (laughs) Quick fact check. Uh, uh, we, we'll, we'll look it up later. Uh, <laughs> I think he's still acting in the Fast and the Furious movies. Uh, not when this movie came out. But uh, anyways, so uh, this all comes to prom, which uh, Usher Raymond is in this movie. Uh, and there's a scene where at prom, he he is the... Let's just talk about this for a sec. So Usher is in the movie, probably never met any other ca- actors. His role is that he is the high school announcement DJ guy who over the loudspeaker announces all of the uh, drama that has happened in the school. So like when Taylor and Zach break up, he he is the school announcement is that can you believe that Taylor left Zach for a uh, real world star? And now Zach, the most popular guy in school, is single. Like, what world is this where that is a thing that the high school is like, well, look, they're all going to learn the drama anyways. So why don't we hire one of the high school kids to just say it all the time? But anyways, he's at the dance. He's the DJ. And at one point, very famously, says, hey, all right, guys, you ready to do the dance I've taught all of you? (laughs) I know you've been working on it. And they do a choreograph. The whole school does a choreographed dance to uh, Fatboy Slim's The Rockefeller Skank while he shouts the next thing that they're supposed to be doing throughout it. And this is all normal high school stuff, as anyone knows. There's also a sad prom that takes place upstairs where they play different music that eventually Lainey uh, goes to and decides, like, oh, Paul Walker's a dick. Everyone's a dick. Goes home. And then Freddie Prince Jr. leaves prom and is like, I don't want Taylor back now that he's broken up. I just want you, Lainey. And yeah. Ends up at home. They they find out, and they they kiss, and everything's happy. And I guess they'll be together forever. The end of the movie. There's also a subplot we should talk about really quickly. With so, uh, Lainey's younger brother is played by Karen Culkin as Simon, who is a you know younger brother doesn't have much friends at school, and uh, but but Freddie Prince Jr. kind of uses him to bond with Lainey when Lainey doesn't want to have anything to do with him because obviously it's the most popular kid in high school. So uh, Simon wants to hang out with him now that he's coming over the house. And one of the ways that Lainey realizes that maybe uh, Zach isn't the worst is when bullies are picking on uh, Simon in the lunchroom, uh, he turns the tables on them <laughs> by... Making them eat their own pubes on a pizza, which graphically, it's a PG-13 movie. I remember there's some movie where someone has to eat pubes. (laughs) I would have guessed an American Pie movie or a rated R movie, something like that has the rating and the meanness to back up what a fucking gross thing that is to show. But it is the (laughs) PG-13 clean, generally clean comedy. Uh, oh, she's I all just that. realized that makes that it makes that whole scene with the 
two sort of outsider kids who are bullying someone and then get bullied by another guy as a slightly higher social tier in the high school um that makes that whole sequence uh that makes this whole movie a prequel to elephant uh yep great uh yeah i think elephant is funnier than this movie um (laughs) that car just keeps driving (laughs) just keeps going uh so yeah this uh this movie is definitely something else and here's the weird part about so as i'm describing like the fact that usher has a job doing school announcements of high school drama and that there's a long extended scene where freddie prince jr's character makes other kids in the lunchroom eat pubes and no one stops it there's something that there's a vacuum in this movie that i've never seen before in any movie and i had to like think really hard if this was accurate but this is the only high school movie where there are no teachers there are no adults in the school at any point there's no scenes of them in class with teachers there's no teacher chaperoning the dance there's no teachers in the lunchroom there's no principal there is no adults at the school whatsoever I don't know what that is. Did you notice that? Did that stand out to you? That why is there not even a perfunctory like meets with a school counselor or something? There's just no adults at the school. Am I blowing your mind? My mind has been blown. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, do you expect me to just respond with my brain all over the place? It's weird though, right? Like, have you ever seen a, like almost Every high school movie at least just ha- recognizes that in high schools there's adults, there's teachers, faculty, principal, whatever else. So not only are they just not present at any point, yeah, there's just not – there's nothing with them. I've just never seen any – there's usually something with them because that is the clash of high school, right? It's – it's there's all these like kids that want to be adults uh, that, that kind of uh, do adult behaviors, have parties, do acts, try to get away with stuff in school – or not as not as worried about Was school. Do X your example, or are you saying do ecstasy? Oh, I mean, so yeah, some kids do ecstasy. Yeah, Pro- sorry, probably. No, so I mean, it just in works a different really well in, in a different world, Lainey would be doing X. She'd be a <laughs> rave, be rave kid. Yeah, so it's it's weird. I've never seen a high school movie where there's no, there's just the students, like some sort of weird like post apocalyptic movie where the adults have all, all died, but somehow Usher Raymond got everyone together to still have school. <laughs> <laughs> it is sort of a Charlie Brown thing, but in Charlie Brown, the adults had morphed into some sort of uh, uh, tall uh, roadside picnic mutants that no longer speak English. In this, in this, apart from a few parents, and not all parents, it's it's pretty yeah. Much there's true. parents, but there's no one that works at the school. Like yeah, the school yeah. has the adult virus. If you go into the school as an adult, you die. Which is so you funny, have to stay though. home and only work on pools. But that's it's it's an accident of the movie, clearly, um, or not yeah. an accident. This is it just it's the way the movie functions. Clearly, is that school is just a, a a meeting point for kids. But that's also the way I thought about high school. Was like the the 45 minutes I spent in class was just, uh, you know, a, a, a sort of null period for the 15 I got to hang out with my friends. Yeah. Um, like, you like, looked forward to lunch. Oh, we're going to go off off the campus to go get lunch. And 
oh, I like this class because the and I need the, to, yeah. the person I have a crush on is in it. And yeah, I get like, to socially perform yeah. for just a few minutes, and then I have to go back to work. Like that, that that it's it's yeah. it's weirdly um, it's weirdly per- a profound way to look at these movies is to ha- is to remove the adults from the picture. Um, the thing is, Heather's did that uh, years before. <laughs> in a very conscious way where the par- the parents and the adults are all just kind of like these these like flotsam that's operating at the periphery having these like in- in- insane irrelevant like passion plays uh while all the kids are doing their work and then there's also like uh peanuts where the parents are literally yeah like roadside picnic style mutants uh well, it's almost like the the movie had all these ridiculous things that it didn't necessarily – I don't know if it knew it was ridiculous or just like, well, I want this to be in the movie. And the only way it made sense was for them to just never have the the opposing force. Like the Usher thing is a great example, right? He's, he's giving loudspeaker announcements every day of the drama going on in the school. He doesn't give school announcements. He doesn't give this is closed. He just is like, did you hear what happened here? And that's, you know, blasted over the loudspeakers. Um in a normal teenage uh, high school movie, that would be some kid who like breaks into the into the room with the announcement uh, microphone and like then gets kicked out. While and everyone goes, "Holy shit! I can't believe we told everyone at the school that this was going on." In this movie, uh, Usher has an office. That's his office that he makes these announcements from. <laughs> yeah, he he's uh, so apparently they were talking about behind the scenes. They kind of needed someone to be uh, a few different roles. And there were just all kind of like filler high school roles, uh, the DJ, the popular kid at school who dances, the popular kid at school, the dancer, and Usher was just like, I'll come in and do a couple days and just fill in all this as one character. And that's that's how, that's apparent, I haven't read the script, obviously, um, but that's apparently uh, the story from Usher's words, uh, is that uh, they just had a bunch of, they just had a bunch of gaps in the script, and he was like, I'll fill all those in. It's ins- it's insane. It's insane. So that dance sequence, apparently uh, Harvey Weinstein wanted to cut it uh, and replace it with a sword fight between Paul Walker and Freddie Prince Jr. That's not true, is it? That's, that is something that I've heard from multiple cast members in multiple interviews, and the director also said this. So let's go into that stuff. Um, so we, <laughs> Un- yeah. we unfortunately have to talk about Harvey Weinstein yet again. But like the we also have to talk about someone, yeah, someone that you wouldn't think we're going to talk about unless you have read the, anything about this movie. This was written by sole screenwriter R. Lee Fleming Jr. He yes. wrote this movie in 2002 while he was doing post uh, post Six Sense and he was writing the screenplay for Stuart Little, which you may forget that M. Night Shyamalan wrote the screenplay for Stuart Little, but before the Six Sense. While he's still trying to get that sold, he took a ghostwriting job to polish up this script, which the director in a commentary acknowledged. And it's like, yeah, it was, it was crazy to be working with, you know, M. Night and have him kind of polish up and 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 make the script a little bit better um, pre him becoming, you know, the biggest writer director in the world. In 2013, uh, Shyamalan went on Twitter and, and said it was bullshit which is such a, so weird to do on a couple reasons. One, uh, we'll get into that. So he goes on Twitter and says, hey, it's bullshit. I didn't ghostwrite the script. I wrote the script. Like, this guy, Ar- Arlie Fleming or whatever, he had written 
a kind of Pygmalion take. The whole thing was scrapped. I rewrote the whole thing from scratch, but because of certain rules and because I had no clout at the time, I got, and he had connections with Harvey Weinstein in the studio, he got full screenwriting, but it's bullshit. I wrote the entire movie. Which is, is, is insane for a couple reasons. First, um, wh- why wait till t- 2013 and then be like, no, I need the world to know I actually wrote She's All That. And then he got embarrassed and deleted it on Twitter. But a couple other people have confirmed the story that um, he did write the movie, that there were producers on it, and a couple people dispute it. And I guess the other reason that's it's weird is that She's All That is not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beloved movie. No, I don't think it is anymore. I think that's my. I don't. I don't think it's beloved. I think. I think it's literally erased from the public consciousness, except as kind of a a joke of a premise and the glasses thing and I, some of these I other things. I don't think that so. Not I brought up. I brought I, up. I think we it's erased. Doing, I brought this up with a few people at work and a, and a few members of my family and friends and such. And like people are like, "Oh my god, like, I'll, I'll listen to that one. I love that movie." Which is. I think none of them have Oof. seen it since 2005 minimum. So the only reason, like, so why I'm a truther on this is that, um, in general, I think that M. Night Shyamalan makes bad movies. So for me, it all lines up really well <laughs> that he would have written this movie, which is a, also a bad movie. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm seeing your, your logical train and ba- bad to... Bad. Yeah, yeah, this checks out because one movie is bad, okay, and the other one is mm-hmm. also bad. I could totally believe that someone with the the sheer lack of understanding about how humans work could write The Happening and She's All That. Yeah, I mean, that all lines up. I do feel like when M. Night Shyamalan has made good movies, and he has, uh, I can name three. <laughs> two, maybe two and a half. I think Split is five. Um, it's, it's great for its weird twist. It's like, it has the best twist ending of any Shyamalan movie, but mm-hmm. I think it's a little perfunctory before that. Unbreakable is good. I actually rewatched it in the last couple of years and confirmed that's a good movie. And, uh, my favorite of his movies is, fuck, I'm blanking on the name. What's his found footage movie? <laughs> uh, The Visit. Yeah. The Visit. I think The Visit is his best movie. I don't like The Sixth Sense. I don't like signs. Uh, I don't like all the movies that we've all agreed he was bad at in between that and, like, The Visit. Fill fill in blank. He is a a good director who is a terrible, terrible writer. And because he insists on writing his own movies, 75 to 80% of the time he writes garbage that doesn't know how human beings work. It it is weird how... He goes back and forth between understanding human behavior and not understanding human behavior. And I feel like the sort of on-off that he has makes sense for, okay, so he wrote some kind of bad indie dramas. Then he wrote Stuart Little and this. Um, <laughs> and then he wrote Sixth Sense, which I think is good and also a very like, heartfelt movie that mm. I think understands human, human psychology in a way. Uh, I know it's an unpopular take, but... I think that Sixth Sense is a movie, and I know a lot of people disagree, that works the first time when you are completely wowed by a clockwork-like direction to lead to a twist that that you did not see coming. 
And then I think every subsequent rewatch I've had where I have to sit with the characters and the dialogue and the long stretches, I have been bored to tears. I think that is a movie that exists for its twist, but is not something that you gain more in future watches. I know that's not an, a popular opinion, but that's where I'm at with the success. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, I, I understand like those movies do exist. Like I think uh, even without the Kevin Spacey thing, usual suspects is that yep. kind of movie. Three, um, 100%. Where uh, once you get the trick doesn't work. Uh, Sixth Sense completely works for me post post understanding the trick. It, it adds an extra weird sort of like uh, half measure to uh, a ghost story kind of level where I, I'm watching a character. It, it suddenly doesn't become, it becomes a post horror movie. It becomes a movie about someone who's like kind of watching their life fly by or what should have been their life fly by without them. Um, I think one thing that Sixth Sense does, like I think why Sixth Sense or Unbreakable or even uh, The Visit, it works for his writing style is that at no point do characters have to uh, express human emotions. Yeah. Right? Like, like the visit, the human emotions are expressed by children. He is good at writing children. In uh, Unbreakable and Sixth Sense specifically, the ca- the characters played by Bruce Willis are uh, quiet and reserved and extremely emotionally distant. And so I think that, at the very least, that works for his writing. Um, because when people try to express passion or emotions in his movie the dialogue is so clunky and bad and and just poorly written that it comes across like yeah uh mark Wahlberg talking about what where are all these bees going <laughs> do you have you seen the bees the bees are gone or um or or freddie prince jr being like yeah maybe if you didn't wear glasses I could like you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it, it it feels like someone that was, uh, you know, ironic to uh, the title Unbreakable. Someone who was Unbreakable Kimmy Schmitted. I uh, was locked yeah. in a bunker for 20 years and was like, all right, well, uh, I have to write a movie about uh, two people falling in love, two teens falling in love. This is definitely an experience that I have had. Let's go ahead. Um, <laughs> so... She takes him to... What are her interests? She likes art. She takes him to an art show. And he does his favorite thing, which is hacky sack. Oh my he god. Loves, he loves to hacky sack. And that's art also. This is a scene. The next scene, please. I actually think the, the, the example of this movie where it just doesn't know how people think or feel is when they're walking along the beach at the ocean. Mm-hmm. And Freddie Prince Jr. goes, oh, the ocean's beautiful. And she gets angry at him and goes, beautiful? You know they dump chemicals into the ocean, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's like, hold on. Totally fair to care about the pollution in the ocean. Like, and like that being a, that being a passion that you care about. But what. M. Night Shyamalan, or whoever wrote that dialogue, seems <laughs> well, to M. get Night confused. Shyamalan, we've is agreed. That... M. Night Shyamalan, truth. M. Night Shyamalan, thank you, thank you. No, I mean, this is basically a loose change for, <laughs> for she's all that. Um, but uh, what, what that person has misconstrued here is that um, people that don't like pollution in the ocean hate the fact that the ocean itself contains the pollution, and thus hate the ocean 
Uh, because he's saying the ocean is beautiful, and she's like, how dare you? There's chemicals in there. <laughs> you know, I have a couple friends who are marine biologists, and what they do, what they do is they wake up every morning, they look at the ocean, and they say, fuck you, ocean! I fucking hate you! It's almost like a weird, like, in the same way, like, oh, you wear glasses, you're not pure. It's a weird, like, well, the ocean is filled with uh, pollution. Yes, we did dump it in there, but it's not pure, and thus I hate it. Like, it's a weird thing where you're angry at the ocean for being polluted, not the pollution that happens. If she cares about the ocean, she should go, yes, this is beautiful. This is why we have to protect it. Because it's a gorgeous, it's like unfathomable depths and size to a human being. And he's, and so of course, yes, of course it's beautiful. And instead he's like, man, doesn't this look beautiful? And she's like, are you fucking kidding me? There's chemicals in there. <laughs> It'll scald off my skin. Uh, <laughs> the only chemicals I like is paint. Like paint chemicals. And as a matter of fact, sometimes I hate the ocean so much, I just take a thing of paint and I dump it in there. Like, you take that ocean, you take the chemicals. Yeah. Gross. I hate you. She's pouring one out for Poseidon. Yeah. Uh, Like, that scene is, I was, both Sean and I were laughing so hard that she got angry at him recognizing that the ocean is a beautiful thing. So, okay. So, uh, at the end of the movie, my wife, who, before she watched the movie, said... Uh, I love this movie. <laughs> I, 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 I remember this being one of my favorites. I'm really excited we're watching this and not some, uh, garbage porno. Um, <laughs> uh, she, ref- at the end of the movie, she referred to, uh, she referred to Lainey as a, a we- she's a weird alien with no personality. And I think that's entirely true. We can talk yeah. about Freddie Prince Jr. also having no personality in this movie, but Lainey is this weird alien who doesn't seem to ever adapt to any social situation. She is constantly a fish out of water, even in her own romantic plots. And it's 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 if if her performance was in a movie, a drama about uh, a young woman who can't connect with her peers, even when the guy of her dreams pursues her, and then at the end of the movie it fails because he's just like. Yeah, like you're giving me nothing to work with. Uh, then that would be a great performance. But it's supposed to be a rom-com. And it shows you how much the formula of rom-coms work in people's brains. That people actually were convinced that this was a good... This was like a good chemistry and good pairing between the two. Because they're both hot. They're both they're both like charming as shit actors. But for some I would, reason... I would, say, I would say she's hot in the second half, Peter. But the first half... <laughs> They're both they're both attractive. You know she's wearing their glasses, glasses right? Yeah. Once they let their hair down, they take their glasses off. They get all that th- those overalls with the paint all over it. Just once they get that all off, um, it's they're they're both attractive. Also, the what movie, kind they of painter no, doesn't wear a smock or have like painting overalls? I I don't understand. And they have no more chemistry before or after the transformation, which is amazing for me. She doesn't really seem to get that much of a boost in her confidence. Maybe none. Uh, no. Well, she leaves prom to go to sad prom. <laughs> I love that they have upstairs sad prom. That literally, she leaves the Rockefeller skank, blasting, walks upstairs, and it's sad, slow music. <laughs> like, like, they have sad prom. I think that's good. I think most places should have like, oh, you want to dance and have fun? Uh, Fat Boy Slim. If you go upstairs, you will hear exclusively the slowest cure songs. 
Are you too de- are you too sad to go downstairs and do the very well accepted, very well practiced Fat Boy Slim dance that all of us spent weeks on? We've been Just working go, on it. Go upstairs. Sit down with Anna Paquin and Foggy from Daredevil. Um, go, go, <laughs> or Foggy go. from Idle Hands. Because it's supposed to be Idle Hands guy. Yeah, he's got, he's got to think. Like, they don't know what to do with him at all. They're like, well, she needs a touch point to high school. So how about someone that's constantly like, yeah, do it. <laughs> like a friend. that. But like, what's their friendship like? Because I don't see him at the house. He just knows she paints. I don't think she... He, I don't think he's in the performance art part. Yeah, he's not. Um, Can we talk about? I purposely left not. this out of the recap for the ending. Do Do we want to talk about what the ending of this movie is? Kiss me. Uh, no, there's a yeah. There's a the the, the ending which the everyone bet. would accept is. Oh, the what? Which what? Which part? Sorry. The bet. So the ending of this movie is they kiss. They find out they're in love. I said it fades out. It doesn't quite. It fades back up. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah. Because Lainey's <clears throat> like, hey, now that I understand that you bet that you could make me hot, um, but then you fell in love with me because I be I think only because I became hot by not wearing glasses, because it's definitely because not, not because they're, they had chemistry or their personalities connected. Uh, so I guess it is. It's a weird movie where it does just show like, oh, when I find you sexually attractive, we can have a relationship because there's nothing else going on, um, which for... Freddie Prince Jr. means don't wear glasses. So at the end, they're laughing. They're like, what was that bet? And he's like, you'll see. I always pay my bets. The bet was um, when they graduate, he, which again, there's no teachers. They're graduating. I don't know who's giving diplomas. Probably fucking Usher. You graduated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um, he uh, goes up and whips off his robe and shows uh, everyone his dick. Laney laughs pretty hard at that, and then it fades out. So, the ending of this movie is that Freddie Prince Jr. shows his dick to everyone in school, but not the audience watching the movie, who is probably most interested in seeing the dick. <laughs> Paul Walker wants to see that dick, right? I think everyone wants to see the dick, but only the characters. But, like, can you imagine, like, everyone laughs, and Laney, like... Covers her mouth like, my boyfriend, just a crazy guy. If someone whipped out their dick at graduation, like, I'm not opposed to whipping out your dick, but that seems assaultive to a lot of people. <laughs> trying like, to, like... Like, my, my nephew is here. <laughs> yeah, you have a picture on the wall. At yeah. the school. There's, this is like the day that all families gather. You're whipping out your dick at graduation? <laughs> And this isn't like this isn't like oh I wore a jock strap and you could just see my butt right like no he, he, he's flopping hog at, at graduation when's he throw the cap and also like they agreed to that bet very quickly like can, like I'm not I'm not talking about like try to say like it's an unacceptable bet but I I mean I was in high school I, I just can't imagine someone going all right let's bet let's bet make this bet okay what are the stakes if I win. You show your dick to everyone at graduation. Like, no. My parents will be there as well. That's not a bet that's happening. Why was that the first place that the bet went? I think like, Kevin Pollock made the bet. He was like, he's like, uh, make him show your dick. Like, uh, yeah, that, that sounds, that's like, you know, what couples do, dad. Mm, make him do it in public somewhere, somewhere I am. Look, here's the thing. I'm a <laughs> pool guy. I want to see that dick, but... <laughs> 
I recognize that if I go up to your boyfriend and say, (laughs) let me see that deck. A lot of questions. So let's figure out a very neutral way I can see his dick. <laughs> like where where I just I'm I'm essentially dick collateral damage. Where 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 the Dad dick lateral isn't damage. directed at me. Yeah, dick's not directed at me specifically, but mm. like I'm there when the dick comes out. So how can I not see it? Basically, Laney, all of your dicks need to be judged by me, your dad. <laughs> Kevin Pollock. I want to... And you may think I'm doing a bad Kevin Pollock impression, but what I'm actually doing is a Kevin Pollock impression of someone else that does a bad voice. <laughs> How about this? Kevin Pollock goes up to his daughter right when she finds out she's dating the absolute stud, Josh Jakely. Zach? Uh, Z- He's a Zach attack. I don't think that's a name, dude. Are you sure? Can you Google it? It's definitely no Brock. <laughs> what kind so, of name so is the, Brock? His name's Brock Hudson. Uh, that's actually a good name. That's a good name. Uh, so the, the Kevin Pollock goes up to her and he's like, Laney. Laney. <laughs> what, what are we? Are I you doing Dom DeMello from, from Andy Daly? Stick. <laughs> you're ruining it trying to trying to get in the zone man my impressions are very fragile get in the dick zone <laughs> get in the dick zone laney god damn it <laughs> trying to do kevin pollock's impression of christopher walken <laughs> you, uh, sometimes i'm dialed into christopher walken and not not today let's just christopher walken's like sometimes it's it's uh ethereal right like sometimes you have it sometimes you don't uh yeah it, it's it's a ghostly presence that sort of uh it touches you or it doesn't touch you and you only know uh when you're about to do a christopher walken impression yeah and unfortunately one person so, it did connect with directly is natalie wood so <laughs> <laughs> So, you want to go for a night swim? See, I'm going out, Pacino. <laughs> I can't do it. Edit all this shit out. Get this off my plate. I need this gone. Do you think that? Do you think that REM wrote Night Swimming about Natalie Wood? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the same album that they wrote a song about Andy Kaufman. So maybe all of them are about celebrities that have dead that are died. That are died. Well, yep. it's that that are died. You know, let me see something real quick. Um, oh, so I mean, about, one yeah. of the songs on that um, album is "Try Not to Breathe." <laughs> Michael Stipe says, "Yeah." Michael Stipe says that uh, "Night Swimming" is about Natalie Wood being murdered by Robert Wagner, allegedly. And <laughs> you're your own inserting allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Um, oh, do you think Drive was about uh, James Dean's death? Yep, I do. Um, uh, I think really, though, the lyrics of Night Swimming make sense when it's like, Night Swimming, Chris, if you tell anyone, I'll kill you too. <laughs> <laughs> I know Sidewinder Sleeps Tonight was about uh, Jim Morrison's death. Uh, Do you know why? So Jim Morrison famously liked to drink his own piss, but he would like to lay down in bed and then arc the piss into his mouth before he'd go to sleep. And then he had a little napkin that he would dab it up and then he would go to sleep. 
So he called himself the Sidewinder. Uh, and everybody hurts is about the death of Jesus Christ, because that affected everybody. <laughs> because he was the savior of all the world, Peter. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's true. And Find the River was about the Green River Killer. Um, and how <laughs> we'll never known know. as the Zodiac. <laughs> slash Scott from Full House. <laughs> Uh, you made it to the end of this episode this is like a little treat for you (laughs) (laughs) oh i'm sorry there's one other funny joke and she's all that which is the um uh the harrison ford joke which one where he's like his dad runs harrison ford and they're like he runs the actor no the ford dealership (laughs) that's good is there a town called harrison i don't understand well his name his name could have been harrison right let's uh before we pivot into um before we pivot into whatever else we want to say about not another teen movie although i think we weirdly got that out we have to reiterate that robert wagner allegedly killed natalie wood by throwing her off a boat with christopher walken Christopher Walken was there. I'm not saying he allegedly killed her. I'm not even saying allegedly Robert Wagner saying. I'm saying that there were allegations that Robert Wagner did it. What was he doing on that boat? What were they doing on that boat? We didn't talk about one thing in this movie, who, which is weird. Because so after this movie, they became like buddies and started a bunch of movies together for a while. Which is Matthew Lillard. The Lil Man and Freddie Prince. The Lil. Yeah, I, I like to call Matthew Lillard Lil Lil. Lil. <laughs> That's his rap name. Lil Lil. That's good good uh, of him to write that and use that name i'm not saying you are yeah no i get it uh yeah he released a few albums under that it didn't work out too well um but he tries best it's because he was only doing his like he, he's all of his sing-song voice is like the i'm bleeding out and scream voice <laughs> <laughs> so you should have heard his cover of night swimming which is like <laughs> night swimming <laughs> it's not good uh, yeah but he knew he knew what the song was about uh, so Matthew Lillard is really good in this movie. He's playing a real world star who uh, is really holding on to his real world fame. Um, has a hilarious scene where he puts on his jam, which is a song from the seventies, which I'm now forgetting. I should have written down what song it was, but it's very like out of place for someone to be like in 1990. This is my jam. Yeah, yeah. And this was this was the a, era. This is this scene has aged really poorly. And one of the points is that the song is supposed to be hopelessly dorky, but like now, like seventies disco jams are cool again. So that's that's one part of this scene that has not aged well. Yeah, and he does like a full dance, including the snake, and again has that fun like drunk reality star confidence where. Even though everyone is glaring at him and no one is participating, it uh, he is indefeatable when it comes to uh, rec- reading the room, or in some ways even caring that the room doesn't like it. Like I am, you guys are dumb high school kids. I'm the star of a season of the Real World. Matthew Lillard is really good in general. He did, and if you don't believe that, go watch Twin Peaks: The Return or The Descendants or other things. But uh, he did obviously develop somewhat of a reputation because he always was at 11. <laughs> and so it was kind of like, what is his uh, deal? But then he, he started in a bunch of ways for Prince Jr. They really did become friends after this. Um, they became friendly Prince Juniors. Yep, that works. That's yeah. a, <clears throat> um, their, their friendship didn't uh, 
get Lillard and die. <laughs> they should have been their friendship should have been called Matthew Biglard because it was so big. <laughs> they were willing to, despite their their differences in fame, they were willing to take it to the mat and fight for it. Freddie Prince Jr. These two were kings, seniors. <laughs> they were the they were the wing commanders of their own de- destiny. Uh, I like the wing commander. Uh, Freddie like Prince Jr.'s fucking... name is Lieutenant Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's good. Um, have you seen Wing Commander? So I saw Wing Commander because I loved those video games. Uh, I saw it in. <clears throat> it's one of those many movies similar to Spawn, and um, man, all those all those like big CGI romps from like 1997 to 2004 ish. Oh, yeah. uh, before I developed any semblance of taste, where I was like, I remember this being a good movie, probably a pretty good movie, but I haven't seen since I was like eight. So uh, yeah, I remember even then though, like I was just like big budget sci-fi. It was like a dearth, and I just wanted to see all of them. And again, I really the the games. I have no idea how they hold up, but especially when Commander Three and Four were pretty like they had all these um, these uh, cinematic like actual film scenes with real actors, and it was like Mark Hamill and uh, uh, Malcolm McDowell and stuff like that. It was really good. Like it was a. <laughs> It's amazing that when they went to the actual movie, I know they got worse actors. Well, they got much worse actors. Like those, I mean, those were good. Like he was like an evil admiral between three and four. He always seemed kind of evil, and then in four, he kind of Malcolm McDowell became the villain, and uh, Mark Hamill's character became a rebel. I mean, it, some normal sci-fi trope stuff. But after they defeat the alien race in three. Uh, who turn out to not be that evil if you get the good ending. Uh, um, uh, all of a sudden, the the humans become the real villains. Like it was, it was you know, it was ninety six, ninety seven. It was very compelling. So I was excited about this movie. And it is like just a piece of garbage. I think it's why movies like Pitch Black at the time stood out for me because when you saw a sci fi movie that wasn't a huge piece of garbage, it was like, oh, good. <laughs> I just saw Supernova and Red and fucking Mission to Mars and shit like that. And now I'm oh, seeing yeah. Pitch Black. This is good. Mission, Mar- Mission to Mars and Red Planet were also movies of that era that I, I saw when I was, whatever, eight or nine. So I was like, that was great. There was a action scene on, on Mars. Saw some blood. That was pretty cool. Yeah, and then uh, they famously starred in the Scooby-Doo movies uh, together. Dubert. And then, so Scooby-Doo 2 is essentially the last recognizable movie that Freddie Prince Jr. was in, which was 2004. Uh, he was in a couple movies that were, like, very, like, one in 2007 directed by enemy of the show Frank Whaley that no one's heard of. Like, our Voltron of enemies would be Frank Whaley, Dean Cain, and uh, Craig Bierko. <laughs> I'm glad we've picked only actors at the top of their game. Yeah. We're definitely punching up. Um, <laughs> and then he, like, his last live-action movie was some other movie you've never heard of from 2008. And he hasn't been in a any live-action related thing since 2008 he's done some voiceover stuff including uh one of the characters from mass effect 3 who i'm forgetting and dragon age uh he's famously a uh voice as a character in uh dragon age that uh people want to put their penis in so what it is weird like why did he stop doing movies i don't i don't have any answers it's kind of interesting that both him and uh and his co-star from She's All That uh, decided to uh, do a lot more voice work going into 
but uh, yeah, but Rachel A. Cook has shown up in stuff, right? Yeah, like, but do you recognize a single on one of those t- movies? The the movies. Do you recognize a single one of those movies post nineteen two thousand and three? Like I I'd never even heard of them, and you and I used to like trawl blockbuster. So I used to watch like Psych. Yeah, uh, for a while, anyways, and like she start showed up on an arc from Psych. Like she does guest spots. She's had like some small parts in like TV shows and stuff like that. Freddie Prince Jr. literally hasn't done a live action acting anything TV movie since two thousand eight. Yeah, so um, I think let's start speculating on what maybe he has a horrible deformity that he doesn't want people to see. Like he had to start wearing glasses. <laughs> He's like, oh god, oh god, I can only sort of see the print on this page. Honey, my wife Is this what karma is this what karma is? <laughs> I'm a monster! Sarah Michelle Geller, get over here. <laughs> He's still Sarah busy. Michelle Geller, I need you to stop wearing corrective lenses so you don't you can't tell that I'm wearing glasses. And we'll stay <laughs> together forever. <laughs> yeah, their marriage will end with Sarah Michelle Geller putting a stake through his heart. Once he has to start wearing reading glasses. It is nice. They've been together forever. They it's seem sweet. It's sweet. I mean they were they were huge and now are not so huge, but um But their careers seem to have uh dropped off at similar rates. Well, Sarah Michelle Gellar was in that like kinda like hit A B wasn't she on an ABC show for like recently for like four years, like Revenge or something? Like she she's he he's not acting. She is. Also, should we talk about uh, what a dick Harvey Weinstein was to him? Uh, yes. Freddie Prinze Jr.'s father um, killed himself um, around when, uh, actually the day of or the day before um, when the She's All That premiere was coming out. 22 years before the movie came out. You made it sound like it happened on the premiere date. Yeah. It was yeah, the anniversary yeah. of that. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so Freddie Prinze, uh, his father had c- commit suicide. Yeah, that, and it was sort of something that he was keeping close to the chest. And <clears throat> Harvey Weinstein told him like this, this was a day that was like special to him. Um, that he didn't he didn't want to work on this day. He wanted to think about his father. <laughs> Harvey Weinstein said, uh, "I don't give a shit that your your father killed himself. You're gonna get your ass to the premiere." Um, and apparently like Kevin Pollack and his wife were super helpful to him during this period. And yeah. Kevin Pollack was like, has said in interviews like, yeah, Harvey treated him really poorly. Um, <laughs> but that's, a, that's like all shit that's come out since, uh, not, and actually not since his allegations, that stuff came out before, uh, yeah. the, the sexual assault allegations. And by that, I mean, sexual assault now convictions, so, uh, congratulations on the justice system for one time doing the right thing. He, uh, he needed this day to himself. He needed this day special, and Harvey Weinstein screamed in his face, apparently, about it. So, um, You yeah. get to that premiere or your career's done! That was, like, essentially what I read. Yeah, which was, was something that Harvey Weinstein held over folks' heads for lots of reasons, including not having sex with him, so... Yeah, um, so, I mean, uh, breaking news, we don't usually like to break news, but Harvey Weinstein is a monster in a lot of ways. Yeah. Here is uh, one new way that he is a monster. Banned from the show. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, it's fair. As It'd are be lots a of pretty people big that are going Yeah, Tiger King, banned from the show. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I don't really have, oh, the other weird thing about this is that Stuart Copeland did the movie for She's All That. Did the music for She's All That. That's so weird. 
He also did the music for uh, Boys and Girls I just saw. So What, a, what an enormous waste of, of talent. But uh, I guess a lot of folks were like, if I get my name on this project, I'm going to make a, a boatload of cash. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, Stuart Copeland did famously write the Rockefeller Skank, so prominently featured in the movie. Stuart Copeland <laughs> is, his stage name is Fatboy Slim. Breaking news. Breaking news. You're Norman outing Stuart Copeland? Oh, yeah. He's going to have to cope. Stuco. Land? Um, Stuco. Yeah, that, 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 um, that boy Slim. That sounds, is- that sounds like a fucking terrible company that only makes, like, uh, Family Guy Stewie products. That you <laughs> Welcome to Stuco. <laughs> we exclusively sell unlicensed I'm products. I'm a bastard. <laughs> yeah. I have, I've I've not seen Family Guy in so long. I can only remember that that the baby speaks an English accent. I cannot think of one of his fucking dumb catchphrases. I I think he's um I think he hates he I think he hates women. Uh he yeah he's he's he, I oh I remember yeah he bangs pans and says not the mama. <laughs> I believe that the small infant on the show, uh, Stuart. <laughs> Uh, has has much derision and uh, 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 hatred for uh, the women uh, in his life. But it uh, clearly is, uh, he is angry at nature for making his head the way that it is. No one in the wild could survive <laughs> with with uh, a misshapen head <laughs> like that, but it's only because of technology and humans that they've supported this monstrous head <laughs> through thick and thin. Uh, normally, uh, even 200 years ago, it would have resulted in uh, Lois, the mom character, dying in childbirth <laughs> with him both into the dust, forgotten into history. But it's only because of the monstrous technology we've propped up the human species with that he has uh, survived to ironically kill his mother. (laughs) It is because Stuart is such an abomination that should have, under any other circumstances, been immediately killed by his mother's womb. That he hates women so damn much. And then he gets like a tape of Stewie's birth and is like, no one should listen to this. <laughs> you should burn this. Burn this tape. And then Peter and Lois, yourself. I brought you together. <laughs> no one should hear this. <laughs> Wow. Um, <laughs> wow. Okay. <clears throat> uh, I don't have anything else to say about shoes. All that. Do we want to uh, just do? A, yeah, you got something R- real quick. Uh, the too? Fat Boy Slim dance number is uh, super fun, and it's uh, kind of interesting because that whole sequence with Matthew Lower dancing uh, is completely nonsense for how an actual high school party would act. At an actual high school party, even in 2006 to 2009, if somebody was willing to dance and would put on, like, a fucking funky-ass, like, radio jam, as dorky as that was, and even though some people would be laughing, 
people somebody would be jumping in and dancing because everyone was partying right like yeah everyone everyone's like, drunk right everyone's no one's drunk. like I, I don't know maybe maybe all these people hung out with the worst most cynical assholes on the planet but uh the people that i hung out with uh they would have laughed at him but they also would have danced <laughs> uh I actually think it's funny that the Not Another Teen Movie parody party for this is more realistic than the She's All That parody. Or it is. Party. It is. It's because it's, it's less well-constructed, right? Like, the, the Fat Boy Slim sequence is a musical dance sequence in the... I was going to say the middle. It's it's right at the end, basically. The last 20 minutes. And it's really fun. It's really well shot. Like, the camera's very dynamic. Yeah. It goes where it needs to go for the action. Um, and... It seems like the movie comes alive for just a few minutes, and but that scene brings illumination to the previous scene, which is that we're in a bad musical, <laughs> and so anybody that doesn't dance with super precision and dance to the exact song on the number is considered a bad, bad dancer. We're not in, yeah. a, in a slice of life little uh, high school comedy. We are, we are in an actual musical that just happens to have one bad dance sequence and one good one. Yeah, it feels like uh, this movie would have been better served by either, like, being an over-the-top musical all the way through, um, or just being, like, the height of, like, magical realism and really, like, leaning into this isn't, like, a high school. This is just a, um, some, some, some level of, like, there's enough ridiculous stuff that you go, okay, this isn't supposed to, like, I'm not supposed to be grounded to anything here. Like, shit can happen that doesn't make any sense, and that's fine. But instead, it, like, has a couple moments like that, and then it has characters that are from an alternate universe that don't under- that don't relate to humans, like you said. Did you ever read- you read Goosebumps? I have to- I have to think you read Goosebumps. Oh, I, right? I got the bumps. So there, there is definitely an alternate version of this movie where the ending is where do you want to go after graduation they're like well i finally accepted what school i'm going to but it's going to be quite the adventure because we're going to have to go to planet earth (laughs) (laughs) like like that's that is what it feels like like what is that that's the welcome to horror camp or whatever where a bunch of weird shit keeps happening at the end it's fucking crazy um and they're like well yeah we're just prepping you for your adventure to earth Oh, yeah. shit, everyone's aliens! Yeah, I read tons of those books, and I remember the endings, Arl uh, Stein just being like, I can't I can't do this anymore. I, I just, it, it needs to be something weird. I need to write something weird right now. Uh, 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 all the aliens are uh, a one, one eighteenth of what we know as God, and uh, they're all kind of thumb-shaped, and uh, they're all fingers on God's hand or whatever. Like I remember certain endings having these really strange uh, sort of cosmic horror touches. And you're like, so w- what is a, a nine-year-old supposed to get out of this Goosebumps book? Yeah, they, start, they started with like, yeah, they did start with like Twilight Zone-esque ending twists, right? Like, you know, the early ones were like, oh, my dad got turned into a plant. And then there's another plant that came about. We killed one, and oh shit! There's signs that the the plant monster we we killed our dad and left the plant plant monster in his in his place. Like that's classic Twilight Zone stuff. And then it was just these like completely unrelated like twists that uh, anyone could just insert into anything if you don't have to uh, <laughs> make any sense. Like 
Oh, all the weird stuff at camp? Because we're aliens. <laughs> all right. <laughs> you know what would explain all that uh, kooky writing I did earlier? Definitely not scotch. Uh, aliens. Aliens <laughs> did it. Yeah. So anyways, uh, yeah, we're definitely wrapping up. I, I don't have anything else to say about She's All That. I don't really actually have anything to say about Not Another Teen Movie, except that I don't want you to think that the movie is the height of hilarity. Like, so it is the best version of that era of parodies. I really do believe that. Like the scary movies, the scary movies, even the original two are terrible. The subsequent ones, when they brought in like Jerry Zucker to do them, uh, are terrible. All the other like superhero movie and what what are those two idiots that did like disaster movie and all those kind of things? The Aaron oh. Fredericks and Seltzer, whatever. Yeah, I know who, like, one of them did- the Seltzer. <laughs> Yeah, did did parodies based on like the preview that they watched with no interconnected scenes are all pretty terrible. Like, uh, I th- I think your take was right. Like, not another teen movie. First of all, is is very funny when it is doing the airplane thing for something like issues all that. Like, I'm not going to be big and ridiculous. I'm just going to po- point out how already this was pretty ridiculous by taking it up a notch or taking well-known scenes in the movies and finding a funny angle the Janie got got uh Janie's got a gun scene the problem is is that all those funny things are uh filled to the brim with like uh no joke is too bad there's like it's like first if you say a joke it's going in the movie and so you end up with like just a lot of not funny vulgarity and sex jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing about Not Another Teen Movie, we'll, we'll kind of wrap up both movies here because yeah. we're, we're never actually going to do Not Another Teen Movie. Uh, as its own we just episode. did. Yeah, we just did. Um, <laughs> is that uh, Not Another Teen Movie has certain moments that are really like wonderful and uh, transcendent and speak in a sort of thoughtful way about the genre and why the genre yeah. has failed all of us um and why the genre actually while while these genre the genre was uh ostensibly the only option for a lot of women that wanted to see you know women's stories on film were fraught with a lot of like really sexist bullshit uh laney's character is incredibly underwritten she's written to be annoying she's performed annoyingly which isn't the you know script's fault but she's written to be annoying um and and she ends up just being this like weird alien with no personality to quote my wife um the interesting thing about not another teen movie is that Janie in that movie uh is full of life and vigor and feels like a real character um who like makes decisions even though sometimes they're strange and human decisions because it's a parody and it's nothing supposed to be resembling real life um it's at least like it's it's at least like something i can grab onto emotionally whereas both the leads in uh she's all that i have nothing to grab onto and they're both charming actors in other movies and other you know tv shows and, and video games and whatever they're just so charmless and she's all that in a way that's shocking for a movie that I think kind of at least the title and the the two lead actors occupies a very high pedestal um, in in sort of 90s culture um, and sort of like in the culture that I, I grew up in. Um, like these are these are the teen movies like she's all that is one of the teen movies. Um, yeah. 
not another teen movie uh while it sends up a lot of the the failures of she's all that and the genre in general it also reinforces a lot of racist shit um it thinks it's being more clever than it is um by like having sam levine um a a jewish actor (laughs) um play a uh asian kid or a kid pretending to be asian and then late in the movie gets kicked by gets kung fu kicked by some uh asian americans uh and then like there's a moment when you think they're actually going to do something with the fact that they keep calling out the fact that the token black guy is the token black guy. But instead, they never really give him agency beyond, um, hey, I'm the token black guy. Here's what's going to happen. All right. That all happened. <laughs> I think that that actually works. So the token black guy part doesn't bother me because it feels like a direct, uh, I think a it's direct comment there. on Dulé. Yeah, on Dulé Hill's character and she's all. Like, I don't think it's actually calling out the concept of the token black character, I think it's more specifically like it is Dulé Hill's character and she's all that. Which like to a deep, the way that he dresses is so charming is and as an as a human being, similar to Freddie Prince Jr. uh and Rachel Lee Cook. Psych is a show is a is an okay ish show. It's it's fun sometimes. It could be pretty good sometimes, whatever. Great hungover Saturday show. Yeah, but it rests on the charm of its two leads. And Dulé yep. being wasted and she's all that is one of its greatest crimes. Um but it but that's the whole point, right? They they even dress him in the same hairstyle and, and sweaters. Like he is he is he's again that part works for me because it's like we are specifically targeting this she's all that thing. And those are the parts that are really good. The Sam Levine stuff is is um is really shitty because it does that terrible thing where it's like, hey, maybe we have something interesting to say. Like they have him like, oh, uh here's a white kid appropriating Asian culture. And then he gets chastised by white people appropriating black culture, right? And so, like, it's like, oh, is it in on this joke? And then it just spends the that the rest of the movie being like, well, because he's a shitty character appropriating Asian culture, we can make him say a bunch of racist shit without ever having to deal with it again. Which is, yeah, which is the problem with this movie. Like, this movie, when it's not being lazy, it's super clever. And when it's lazy, it is either groan-worthy or offensive. It's like, okay. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like you make a big robot, right? Yeah. And the robot... I've made a lot of big robots. I'm tracking so far. <laughs> and the robot is covered in racial slurs. <laughs> yep. And the robot just walks around town saying the racial slurs that are printed on its carapace. Yeah. And... Still pretty people, impressive you made that robot. <laughs> and, and also in the lower right-hand corner of its butt, it says, you know, it's signed by Aaron Armstrong and Peter Moran. It's two authors. <laughs> the racist robot is just walking around town and everyone says, oh, we hate this robot. We hate this racist robot. And we both go, yeah, doesn't he suck? Everyone goes, wait, why'd you, why'd you make the racist robot? Like, no, 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 no. Focus your attention on the racist robot, please. Please focus your attention on the racist robot. Like, well, no, no, why'd you make the racist robot? To call out racism. Focus on the racist robot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it's a very elegant metaphor, not confusing at all. But no, I, I think you're right. Like, it, it has too many of those. Or like, and it also just has movies, parts that like, aren't like parody jokes. They're just like, oh, what if uh, this person who's shitting and the shit fell down on the ceiling? And it's like. Okay, I mean, <laughs> yeah. What if people? Sure. Got covered like, in shit? what I if people got covered bad. in shit? Like, 
it's not like if you make a parody, every joke needs to be based on something you're parodying. But like, is that funny? Like, is it funny for that to happen? Like, I it just it's too broad. I've now gotten to the age where the logistics of uh, getting that many people through the the school gym showers uh, is more fascinating to me as a drama, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> than the comedy uh, of a bunch of people getting covered in shit. But like, I'm glad, much, like, Chris Evans people is... get ordered by who's going to fight to I get to know. the front of the yeah. line? Who's going to argue with each other that they're more covered in shit than the other people? Like, it's, that's it's, more it's fascinating. It's a conundrum. Um, <laughs> the be- I mean, but so so not another team movie has some funny moments. Although it is true. Like, I actually think my wife's reaction is right. Where knowing the moments and having them pointed out in not another teen movie makes She's All That hilarious to watch. But not necessarily not another TV movie hilarious <laughs> to watch, and, so, and I, I think that actually like makes a lot of sense to me somehow that like calling out how she runs when she's sad by ex- exaggerating it slightly and not another teen movie really makes you understand how funny it is and she's all that, but it doesn't necessarily make it funny and not another teen movie. <laughs> I think yeah, I think that's yeah. how that math checks out. Although I think it's because not another teen movie is is about seventy percent theoretically funny than actually funny yeah the part that like so and the stuff that works does work well and first of all it gave the world chris evans which he definitely had trouble finding like what to do after this but once he figured it out uh like thank god because he's so funny he's such a wonderful human being uh he's very funny in this movie uh but yeah i don't know like i I can't like fully recommend not another team movie although it is the best parody that came from like the years 1999 to 2009 that i can think of it a lot of it is just uh grown worthy and yeah she's all that i guess i don't know like it, it's not it, it i kind of knew going in it was going to be the worst that we did this month but i do think the other three movies this month are legitimately great and this is one that kind of tried to ape that we're going to follow clueless we're going to adapt a uh classic novel into a high school drama and M. Night Shyamalan's going to work on it, too, for some reason. It just didn't, like, pan out in the same way I think a lot of these other ones did, including one that we'll talk about in two weeks that came out the same year that this outgrossed by double, uh, <laughs> which is uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. So, yeah, I'm, I'm done, Peter. Yeah, I got, I got like, two minutes left in me. Uh, Chris Evans, I love that uh, he played a douche in this as like a comedic douche and then he went on to play comedic douches and like scott pilgrim and then in sunshine he was like riffing off of the fact that he he had a douche persona yeah like sunshine he's not a douche in the movie but like when you first are introduced to the character one of the most interesting things about is he's like introduced as a hothead douchebag and then as the movie goes on you're like everything he's saying is rationally sound like and he's not the villain. He's never portrayed as the villain. Like it, it's it's a it's a smart way to undo his sort of uh, the this trajectory. Um, well, you're forgetting about the thing that he was also douchey in that made him huge. Furious, uh, Fantastic Four. Yeah, Fantastic Four movies. Yeah, uh, I don't know why I thought it was called Furious. Um, the yeah, because if you watch them, you were furious because they're so bad. Yeah, <laughs> never seen them. Uh, they are, they are they live up to their these are terrible movies before people kind of got comic book movies. Yeah, that it's uh it's, it's before any of us any of us had standards. Um, and then he I think his real personality, or at least what we've seen from interviews and the fact that he dated Jenny Slate on and off for a long time. It sort of implies that he's well jenny slate didn't wear glasses 
Yeah, yeah. If Jenny Slate wore glasses, surely he would have dumped her on the spot. But um, from what we've seen from interviews and stuff in Twitter and all that, he seems like a really good dude and like a earnest dude. And like that way, um, it it, it led directly. It like makes sense that he ended up being uh, Captain America. Right. But it's I love that he still pops out to be a douche every so often, like in Knives Out. Um, because he's yeah. so good at it. Like Knives Out is a straight trajectory from not another teen movie. It's just that he, it feels like he had a dalliance, uh, where he made $300 million or whatever for playing Captain America. <laughs> I don't know what he made playing Captain America, but it feels like his trajectory was <clears throat> douche, uh, riffing on douchey, riffing again on douchey, but to a lesser extent. Now he's a serious actor. Uh, then for about a decade, he uh, made hundreds of millions of dollars playing uh, Ernest, uh, American good boy. Back to douche. <laughs> he, well, he does seem to enjoy comedy the most. And, like, he is good as Captain America. He's great. Um, he's he's in, great. But, in Civil but War, he was, he was like, always the... Who, who wins this dumb theoretical argument. But I'd rather have Captain America win because he's not annoying. Yeah, but he was definitely, I think, the most vocal of that, like, original cast that was like, I would like to get out of playing Captain America because it's kind of a one-note role, <laughs> you know? Where, like, someone like um, Chris Hemsworth has said, like, no, I'll keep playing Thor forever because I, Thor gets to have more fun. He gets to have different sides. He gets to play comedy. There's a range there. And Captain America, uh, even though, again, Chris Evans great at it, really kind of bottles up it's kind of you're hiding your chris evans under a bushel like for what he could do <laughs> so let him shine i'm glad he's out there i, I am glad he's out there but Keep yeah it's, knives it's, out. it's not it's not really a good movie it, the movie's biggest sins are uh one cheap uh cheap ableist and uh racist and sexist jokes actually let's just say mostly ableist and sexist i'm not sure if the movie's racist as much um it, but it's uh the it does the thing that a lot of the movies of the era would do which would be confuse references as jokes yeah and just say hey we recreated the scene from breakfast club You're like, okay we got the original guy so it's like it, it looks and in the set looks exactly like the the set from the original movie yeah it's, it's cool um no, no aren't, why 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 aren't you guys laughing well it's, i mean we saw breakfast club i understand that you're referencing breakfast club what are you gonna do with it he the says the thing say he the says thing. the thing he says the thing from the breakfast club the, the same guy says club. the thing he said i haven't heard him say that i haven't heard him say that thing in so long but yeah i don't have i don't think I have anything else we've been talking about both of these movies that i didn't really want to talk about uh very much but we, we had a good time doing it the both the movies feature a ton of cameos weirdly enough the uh, ridiculousness of the cameos is uh, more in the original one than in the Not Another Teen movie. The idea of this movie... I like that you called the original one like Not Another Teen movie is an official remake. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but then, like, the fact that like Lil' Kim is in the movie and I'm pretty sure it has no lines or... Sarah Michelle line. Gellar's and she's all that, too. And she has no lines. No this lines. Was, and this was this was like after she had met Freddie Prinze, but before they started dating. Uh, oh, a uh, weird thing about this. Uh, they shot this in uh, a high school in Torrance, like Torrance Public High School or whatever. And uh, this is the same high school they shot uh, Buffy at for Summerdale. Oh, so she was just there. I think, it's, there. I think it's Sunnydale. Sunnydale. Oh, what a fucking... Yeah, not Summerdale. Whatever. 
haven't seen her last name was was i think i I think her last name was buffy summers there we go it's a good show i remember liking the show yeah it's great so is angel watch them both i watched both of them back in the day haven't seen either of them in i watched them both for the first time about 10 years ago and i loved them both yeah so high praise for angel and buffy the vampire slayer less high praise for these two movies but we had we had a little bit of fun. We had a little bit of Aaron Peter goofing around energy. We and love now, to goof him around. Oh wait, we didn't even talk about how Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> gets accepted to a bunch of fucking Ivy League schools. Yeah, because he's and, got he's got the third best GPA in the school, and his, he gets accepted to a bunch of Ivy League schools. And then the movie plays a sad note, like it's we want to we want it to feel bad for him because he can't pick which Ivy League school to go to. Well, then yells at his dad for wanting him to go to a good college. And then the dad is like, I don't want your life, dad. Like, (laughs) Varsity Blues came out the same year, which also has James Vanderbeek yelling at his dad, John Voight, that he doesn't want his life. It's a big thing. People didn't want other people's lives in 1999. Yeah. I once saw John Um, Voight at Disneyland. He was wearing a big, he was wearing a full suit and a hat. Um, was it uh, J O H N? And was he a dentist? <laughs> Dude, don't kill the bit. <laughs> and he was wearing a big hat and everything. He looked super fucking hot. But I think he's old enough that he's when you get when you get really old, you get closer to death, so you get colder. And I think he needed to wear all that so he didn't go into hypothermia. Uh, also, he's a cold-hearted Trump lover, so that yeah, could be right he has a snake uh, heart after making love to an anaconda on the set of the film. You know, you know, um, you know the, the movie that what? Oh, like anaconda? <laughs> they, they can't be right. Python, maybe. Yeah, I think it's actually uh, he's an anaconda's anaconda is the hunt for the wild orchard or whatever the sequel's called. <laughs> um, the, the the one movie it's that uh, the no there's a, there's a sequel to Anaconda called Anaconda is the hunt for the like wild or- orchid or something. Okay, cool. Anyways, uh, the one movie that not another teen movie parodies that uh, is definitely not a remake of a uh, of a uh, classic work of literature, uh, but is a movie I have unbridled affection for that I'd love to do on the show someday. Is Can't Hardly Wait, which is a great mm-hmm. movie. Peter, how do you feel about Can't Hardly Wait? Haven't seen it since 2001-ish. So. Okay. That'd be a fun one to do someday. Um, <clears throat> anyways, I think probably both these movies made George Bernard Shaw proud. And that's really all we could ask for <laughs> next week. We are doing... Uh, we're fast-forwarding a little to uh, the year 2009. The actress, a little person named Emma Stone. The novel, Nathaniel Hawthorne's Scarlet Letter. The movie, Easy A. The guest, Joey Lee. I don't know what that was. That's a voice, I think. Uh, it, was a and little, that... it was a little, um, you know. Uh, Twilight Zoney? Who's the guy, who's the guy who Picture the top ten? Uh, not Pat Sajak. What's his name? Uh, it's a little Casey Kasem. <laughs> yeah. The year. <laughs> and that was the year the little boy. Got eaten by a goat. <laughs> the top song? This little jam from Modern English. I'll melt with you. Uh, and then we're wrapping up the month with the other 1999, the good movie, teen movie that came out this year. Uh, 10 Things I Hate About You with guest Liam Haber. So this will be a fun, fun wrap up. We kind of got the garbage out of the way. We got two really fun movies to talk about. Have you seen Easy A? Peter, I don't think we've talked about that. Yeah, Easy A is good. Awesome. 
Uh, yeah, I'm excited for that one. It was so, good in 2000 whatever, at least. 2009, yeah. I, I actually just watched it uh, about a year ago and really loved it again. So really breezy, fun movie, and Emma Stone really is great in it. So we will uh, see you next week talking about uh, vir- Virgins. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to be talking about Virgins for much of the month. Yeah, the whole point, yeah, the, most of these movies are like people that are virgins that want to stop being virgins. They want to How do I stop out. the madness? <laughs> uh, good night. Good night. Kiss me out of the bearded barley nightly beside the green, green grass. Swing, swing, swing the spinning step. I'll wear those shoes and you will wear that dress. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. Show, we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches Peter and Aaron. <laughs> Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>